0: Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome to my podcast. I preached the following message on April fifteenth, two 2018 at Hampton United Methodist Church. This is part two of my new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in today's scripture, Paul describes his life before Christ and his life after Christ. He's able to articulate the kinds of differences that Jesus has made in his life because God chose to reveal his son to Paul. Well, in a similar way, for those of us who are authentically Christian, for those to whom God has revealed his son through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives too should have a B.C. and an A.D we should be able to describe the kinds of differences that that Jesus has made in our lives. That's what this sermon is about. I hope you enjoy it. Our scripture is Galatians 1, verses 11 to 24, which I'll read right now. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus." Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Believe it or not, I have never watched the show Celebrity Big Brother. Have any of you? (laughs) Uh, But it was in the news a couple of months ago. Um, it turns out that a former White House staffer who got fired last year was one of the contestants on the show, and she made a remark about the vice president. And this is not, by the way, if you're visiting, I don't talk politics. This is not, this has nothing to do with the politics. I'm just speak, happen to be speaking about some politicians. But she was she was um, she was talking about Vice President Pence, and she said, you know, you need to you need to you need to look out for him. Because, she said, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but Vice President Pence thinks that Jesus says things to him and tells him what to say. Jesus says things to him and tells him what to say. And. This was um, this was being discussed on that show, The View, you know, The View and Joy Behar, who's one of the um, one of the hosts of the show. uh, She said, it's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. And when you hear voices in your head, that's a sign of mental illness. She said that and. It got back to the vice president and then he kind of escalated it by accusing her of attacking Christianity. And the whole thing was blown out of proportion as anything having to do with politics gets blown out of proportion. The truth is when Vice President Pence said that Jesus talks to him, he meant it in the way that we mean it when we talk about hearing Jesus speak to us or being guided by Jesus or being we sense that Jesus is leading us to do something. And we might say that Jesus is talking to us, but we don't, we don't mean that we hear a literal voice of Jesus talking to us. What we mean usually, and I'm sure the vice president means this, is that we hear Jesus speak to us in scripture, this is God's word, and this is the primary way that Jesus speaks to us, and then the Holy Spirit works through our reading of scripture to to help us see how we can apply these words to our own lives and our own situations. And after all that, we might say, "Yes, I feel like the Lord is telling me, you know, to do something. But what we mean is the Lord is guiding us. The Lord is giving us his blessing, that sort of thing. But the whole thing, like I said, got blown out of proportion. None of us probably would say that we've heard an audible voice of Jesus speaking to us. I I share this to say that the Apostle Paul's situation is very different from our situation. You see, Jesus doesn't have to appear to us and speak to us in audible voice because guess why? He's already done that. And uh, he's done that, for example, for the apostle Paul in today's scripture. Paul wants the Galatians to know that he has heard Jesus speak to him in an audible voice. In fact, the resurrected Lord appeared to Paul on that Damascus road as as recounted in Acts chapter nine. And the Lord showed up and the Lord gave Paul this commission to go to all the world and, and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul says in today's scripture that Jesus himself directly, gave Paul the gospel message that he is preaching. Why is this important? Why does Paul want to emphasize this? Well, I mentioned this last week. Paul started several churches in Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey, on the Asia side of Turkey. He started these churches with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. And he's been gone for a year or so. And he's learned that there have been some false teachers that have infiltrated these churches and they are spreading. They are slandering Paul and they are accusing Paul of being a being a second hand or second rate apostle. They say that Paul went to Jerusalem and spent a few years there And he uh, he sat at the feet of the Apostle Peter, James, John, other apostles. They taught him their gospel. And then after a while, Paul kind of went on his own and went rogue and did his own thing and, and started these churches and preached his own gospel to them. And Paul got it wrong. What Paul, the gospel that Paul preached wasn't the same gospel that Peter preached and James and John and the others. So Paul misunderstood it. And that's why Paul says in verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the the emphasis that Paul puts on receiving the gospel by revelation. It's like receiving a gift. Um, If you receive a gift, you don't usually just receive a part of it. You know, you get the whole thing all at once. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. Whereas, you know, from experience as a student sitting in a classroom or watching, you know, my lectures in that video, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities to get the message wrong. I mean, if Moses uh, mistranslated an English word that I said, he could have given these, these students the, the wrong idea about these theological and doctrinal issues that I was talking about. That's not what is going on with Paul. Paul did not sit in a classroom. Paul received this gospel directly from Jesus. And Paul says, there's simply no way he got it wrong. And as proof, Paul goes on to say, he didn't even get to know any of the apostles until three years after his conversion. He was already preaching and teaching the gospel. Converting people long before he ever even met Peter, for instance. And then he says, I only I was only there for 15 days and I didn't go there to, you know, uh, talk to Peter about what the gospel was. I mean, Paul's point was he just wanted to get to know Peter and he met James, the brother of Jesus, while he was there. And then he didn't go back for another 14 years, I think. I mean, the the point is, uh, Paul wants these Galatians to know that his critics, these false teachers, have got it wrong. Paul received his gospel, not from any man, but directly from Jesus. And by the way, there's something really interesting. Um, If you you look down at uh, verse 17, Paul describes what happened to him after his conversion, which you can read about in Acts chapter 9. It says, that um, he didn't go to Jerusalem, and instead, he went away into Arabia. Now, this is the only place in the Bible in the New Testament, at least, where Arabia is mentioned. And here's why most Bible scholars, including Tom Wright, among many others, thinks this is significant. This is really kind of cool to me. Um, what, what's in Arabia? Mount Sinai is in Arabia. And it's clear that Paul, in his, um, his activity before his conversion to persecute the Christians, Paul would have thought of himself as a prophet like Elijah. Remember Elijah from the Old Testament? He calls down fire upon God's enemies and and he has that confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Remember, um, uh, God uh, uh, consumes with fire the sacrifice and anyway. very dramatic and, and i 'm sure and, and Bible scholars are sure that Paul would have fancied himself a prophet like Elijah, standing up to those weird Christians and their strange ideas, standing up for the one true God of Judaism. Elijah went to Arabia, Elijah went to Mount Sinai, remember this after the confrontation with the prophets at Baal of Baal. Um, He finds out that um, King Ahab's wife wants to kill him. And so he runs away to Mount Sinai. And it's on that mountain, remember, when God speaks to him in the still small voice. But he says something while he's, uh, Elijah says something um, while he's there uh, to God. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's feeling sorry for himself. There's nobody else out there that's being faithful to God except for him. That's how he's feeling. And then God tells him actually that there are 7,000 in Israel who have never bowed their knee to uh the baals, these false gods. So Elijah's not even—he's got it wrong. But the point is, isn't it interesting that um, that this Elijah-like figure, Saul of Tarsus, who like Elijah before him believes he's defending the true faith against all these unbelievers, he also goes to Mount Sinai. But the message that he gets on Mount Sinai is not. Um, don't worry, you'll be safe. There are plenty of other people just like you who believe just like you do, and therefore you don't have to worry about your life. That's kind of the message that Elijah got. But if, if Paul got a message on Mount Sinai, it was, there's a whole world of people who worship false gods, who, many of whom want to kill you, Paul. But I'm sending you to them. (laughs) I want you to bring this message of the gospel to them. I want you to reach them. This is your mission. Should you choose to accept it? And yes, it is very dangerous. And your life is going to constantly be, uh, you're you're constantly going to risk your life. Uh, You're going to suffer a great deal of pain. Uh, as part of this mission. But this is what you're going to do. And of course, Paul says yes. So I like that idea that he goes to Mount Sinai like Elijah before him. Although he's not, you know, if he's looking for reassurance that he's going to be safe, well, God does not give Paul that. And you can read all about um, the many ways that Paul's life was threatened in Second Corinthians chapter 11, for instance. And of course, we know from history that Paul himself would be executed um, under Nero Caesar uh, because he was faithful to the gospel. And he was glad to suffer in that way because he loved Jesus that much. Um, So let's look at verse 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, do you remember Paul's life before his conversion? They didn't have separation of church and state back then. And Paul had the authority, which was given to him by the chief priests in Jerusalem, to go to the Jews who were scattered around the Mediterranean and to have them arrested if they were practicing this weird cult of Christianity, and so he had he had papers, he had the authority to do that, and he could um, he could arrest them. He could he he says, he says he uses he used violence against them, and if we look, for example, at Acts chapter seven verse fifty-eight, chapter eight verse one, we get an idea of how Paul operated. Um, In that scripture, um, Stephen, one of the first deacons, is on trial before the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And Stephen really lets these people have it. (laughs) And uh, at the end of his speech, uh, they stone him to death. But listen to what it says. Then they cast him out of the city, that is Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which of course is Paul. Paul is the Greek name. Saul is the Hebrew name. And Saul approved of his execution. So it's very likely as a result of Paul's actions, whether he was directly stoning these Christians to death, he was helping to facilitate the, uh, the execution of Christians. Paul did a lot of bad stuff, in other words. He worked a lot of evil um, prior to his conversion. What was it? So Paul was able to hear Stephen present the gospel, um, and he heard other people, no doubt, present the gospel. What do you think it was about the gospel that bothered Paul so much? What do you, I mean, what got him so worked up? What, why did he feel so threatened by, by it? I think it's because Paul, as he says here in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I think it's because Paul had devoted his life in a way that few others had to Obeying God's law, to trying to live according to God's law. And it seems likely that Paul took a lot of uh, pride in that. Why do I say that? Because of what Paul says in verse 10. Um, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ if I were still trying. In other words, Paul can look back on his former life in Judaism and understand that he was trying to please man. And we can imagine Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, for instance, talks about Pharisees. Paul is a, Paul was a Pharisee prior to his conversion. Jesus talks about Pharisees, about how they... Um, They love to pray on the street corner where everybody can hear them because people will praise them and and tell them how wonderful they are. And they love to to give a tithe so that everybody can see what they're giving and they love to fast. Twice a week and then they 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 make their face look like they're suffering because they're fasting. So everybody can know what they're doing and praise them and look up to them and appreciate them and let them know how wonderful they are. Undoubtedly, Paul got a lot of self-esteem from This this work that he was doing as a Pharisee, Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, you might remember the the, the Pharisee and the tax collector both go to, to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee prays first, and he says, "God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners." especially that tax collector over there. I thank you that I give a tithe and that I fast twice a week and that I give money to the poor all the time and and I always worship at the right times and I have my daily quiet time. I mean, this guy follows the law. He follows God's law. But what's the problem? The problem is what's in his heart. You see, Jesus doesn't really seem to care about the externals of following the law. What he cares about is what's in here, what's in our hearts. And speaking of politics, you may remember back in 1976, um, when Jimmy Carter was running for president, he got into trouble because he gave an interview to Playboy magazine, which you probably shouldn't have done. And they asked him if he'd ever committed adultery. And let's face it, politicians like to like to commit adultery. And um, But he said, no, he had never committed adultery, but then he qualified it. He said, well, only in my heart. And this was very controversial for some reason. I'm not sure why, because he was just reflecting the very words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even lust after someone because If so, you're committing adultery in your heart. So Carter was just saying that. Um, But Jesus was always doing that sort of thing. Jesus was always penetrating inside uh, to look at the the condition of our hearts. And the truth is, that's where the problem is. It's not simply that we fail to obey the law. It's why. And even when when we obey the law, our heart could be so... Um, messed up that it wouldn't even matter. Jesus wants to heal our hearts. In fact, that's the main purpose of God's law in the first place is to show us that we can't, um, be righteous no matter how hard we try. We can't be righteous apart from God's grace. We need to have a miracle. We need to have God do something, uh, inside of us to our hearts. Um, The law can only condemn us. The law can only show us we need a savior. We need someone who can obey the law on our behalf. We need someone who can fulfill the law on our behalf. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And this is very threatening to a Pharisee, a strict Pharisee like Paul, who's committed his life to obeying the law And along come these Christians, and they say, Jesus has obeyed the law for us. Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. We are free from the law. The problem is in our hearts. I was listening to a podcast um, last week. And there was an interview with a pretty famous theologian, as far as theologians go, his name is Stanley Hauerwas. He taught for years at Notre Dame, and then he retired recently at Duke Divinity School. And Hauerwas, um, for better or worse, is famous for using profanity a lot. He doesn't take the Lord's name in vain, but he uses salty language in his lectures and even in his books. And um, the interviewers asked him, he said, I heard that you recently gave up saying the F word. And Howarwas corrected him and said, oh, no, 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 I haven't, I have, I haven't used the F word in many years. I, I gave that up many years ago. And I wanted to say, now, hold on a second. Say more about that. How did you give up using the F word? Because speaking personally, I'm a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips, and I know how easily, I'm not, this is not, this is to my shame, how easily that word can pass through my own lips when I'm angry. See, I have a lot of anger (laughs) in my heart, and and sometimes I I give expression to that uh, through using the F word. As my children, as my wife uh, know very well, I'm not Proud of this, um, but but here's the thing: like if I could be like Stanley hauer was and 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 just stop myself from using the f word, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, yeah, but it's not just saying the word. I mean, like even if I wasn't saying it with my lips. I'd be thinking it in my heart, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or that the anger that gives rise to that word would still be there. And that's what needs to be healed. That's what needs to be changed, right? So that, that's the point. Um, we cannot be made righteous by the law. So when I, when, I, when I think about that in my own life, I think, well, thank God Jesus was righteous for me. Thank God Jesus kept the law for me. Because I find, even though I've been a Christian now for decades... <laughs> that I, I am still so often unable to live up to the law. But the good news is I don't need to in the sense that Jesus himself did it all for me. But Paul wasn't in that place at this point. So the Christian's message, the gospel, was very threatening to him. But look what happens in verse 14 and 15. Or excuse me, 15 and 16. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, but I love that. But when he but when God. And you can see the change that God makes in Paul's life. He, his life is going along one path. He's as strict a follower of the law as you could get. He's the biggest opponent of the Christian movement. And then what happens? Jesus gets a hold of him. God gets a hold of him. And suddenly everything is different in Paul's life. And what I want you to think about not that Paul's experience is like our own. None of us has had an encounter with the resurrected Lord. Paul was the last apostle to have such an encounter. None of us will be like Paul in that regard, but all of us will be like Paul in this regard. Every single one of us, if we are authentically Christian, has a before Christ, a B.C. and an A.D. We all ought to have a B.C. and an A.D. In other words, all of us um, should be able to articulate how our life is different as a result of being a disciple of Christ. All of our lives ought to be different as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We ought to be able, like Paul, to tell people before Christ my life was like this, but since I've since Jesus found me, this is what's this is all this is what he's done. This is how he's operated on my life. Um, notice, I mean, if you have your Bibles, look at the look at the difference between verses 13 and 14 and verses 15 and 16. Verses 13 and 14 are all about. I, 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 me, my, I, right? (laughs) And then verses 15 and 16 are all about God. Then God did this. And uh, God set me apart before I was born. God called me by his grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him, Jesus, among the Gentiles. One of the characteristics of our lives, if we are authentically Christian, is that our orientation should be a much, much less I-oriented and much more God-oriented. Is it? How are we doing when it comes to that? Um, The gospel, Christianity is not something that you take up. It's something that takes you up. It's not something you get into so much as a power that gets into you. It's not something you choose so much as someone who's chosen you. It's not a decision that you make so much as a decision that's made for you. It's not that you find Jesus so much as Jesus finds you. Does that characterize your life, A.D.? It ought to. Um, And notice verse 16. Um, I don't know what your Bibles say, how they translate this. The ESV says that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Do you see that? But there's a footnote here. And if you follow the footnote, what Paul actually says is God was pleased to reveal his son in me, in me. What does it mean? What's the difference between being revealing God's son in Paul versus to Paul? Well, first of all, we know from Paul's own words in first Corinthians and elsewhere that Paul's Um, encounter with Jesus was not internal. It was not some kind of inward spiritual experience. Paul actually witnessed the risen Lord Jesus. So that was outside of Paul. So of course it means it includes the idea that this was revealed to Paul. But I think the idea that it was revealed in Paul also communicates that Paul now lives his life in such a way that he's able to reveal Jesus Christ to others because Jesus is so much a part of him. Don't you want Jesus to be such a part of your life to be so obviously present in your life that other people can see Jesus in you? That's what I think that's what Paul is saying here in verse 16 is true of him. And if it's true of Paul, that should be true of us too. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And our lives should should just reflect the kind of difference that Jesus makes. There should be an A D in our lives, not just a BC. Okay. Here's something else that's really interesting. Paul says, he's he's describing how he's persecuted these Christians. He's, He's acted with great violence toward these believers. And then in verse 15, he says that God set me apart before I was born. And called me by his grace. This happened before Paul was even born. And yet, somehow, Paul was able to do a lot of bad stuff between the time when he was born and until he became a Christian himself in the year 33, we think. God knew that Paul was going to be this persecutor of the church. God knew that Paul was going to be either directly or indirectly responsible for, well, the deaths of Christians, the suffering of Christians. And yet somehow, somehow God used all of that as part of God's plan to, to use Paul To bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Think about that. And think about how it relates to your own life. I am sure that many people right now are suffering in ways that you don't even feel comfortable talking about with most of your brothers and sisters in Christ at this church. I know many of you are going through difficult trials I'm sure that some of you are struggling with sin about which you feel great shame and you're not, you wouldn't admit it. Well, you can't, you cannot, um, there's nothing you can do. Here's the good news. There's nothing you can do and there's nothing that can be done to you that God by his grace can't transform and and make a part of God's plan for your life. Even though Paul had done very bad stuff, it did not disqualify Paul from being a great servant of God. And that's true for every one of us in here. There's nothing we do that's going to surprise God. You see, When Paul was going to Damascus to persecute some more Christians in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to him suddenly and his life changes in an instant. By all means, it caught Paul by surprise. It didn't catch God by surprise. This was a part of God's plan before Paul was born. And theologically, we could say it was a part of God's plan for all eternity because God knew what he was going to do in Paul's life. Things happen to us unexpectedly, but they don't catch God off guard. So don't give up on yourself if, if you think, oh my goodness, I've sinned so much, I've, done, I've disobeyed God so much, or these terrible things have happened to me, now my life is ruined. It's not ruined. If you're living and breathing right now, your life is not ruined. Because God can use all of that as part of God's redemptive plan for the world. And we have an example right here in uh, the life of the Apostle Paul. But he's just one example. There's plenty of other examples. Remember Joseph? After he gets sold into slavery by his brothers and after he suffers in Egypt for decades, he rises in the ranks by God's grace and he's in a position um, because he's a hot. He's like the... Um, Head of Next to the Pharaoh, he's the most powerful man in Egypt. And because of his wise administration, he's able to survive, to save the lives of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people from a terrible famine. Um, so God used all of even Joseph's misfortune to, to bring him to a point where he could do great good. And God can do the same with our lives as well. So don't you give up on yourself. Listen, um, my wife is not here. She and my daughter are in Disney. And because they're not here, I feel like I can talk about her. Um, Lisa is a big um, jigsaw puzzle builder. And uh, I hate jigsaw puzzles. But I buy her jigsaw puzzles for Christmas and her birthday. And um, when she's not busy working, she'll find time sometimes to build them. And And these are like thousand piece or... 2,000-piece puzzles. They're pretty advanced. Um, This happens every time. Every time she's building a jigsaw puzzle, she will reach a point where she cannot find a piece. And she will say, I'm missing a piece. Um, A piece must have fallen on the floor. The dog ate one of the pieces. (laughs) The cat ate. We had a cat that used to eat puzzle pieces. I don't think our current cat does. Our current cat will eat anything else, but not jigsaw puzzle pieces. But the point is she'll blame the animals. She'll blame the factory, you know, because um, there was a mix up when they were putting the pieces in the boxes and there's a piece missing. This always happens at least once, maybe twice while she's building these things. And it's, it, nah, sometimes even I will break down and try to find the missing piece. And I agree with my wife. I can't find this one little piece. Can, you know, maybe I see that uh, this piece ought to have a little bit of red and a little bit of yellow and a little bit of green. And I'm looking through all the pieces and I'm not seeing it. But this always happens, too. As the rest of the picture starts to fill in as you start to see more and more of the big picture, you see the yellow daisies and the green grass and the red dress. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, yes, here's that piece that we thought was missing. It's right here. That's the way God often works in our lives. We can't always see how the misfortune that we're going through, the suffering that we're enduring fits into God's big plan. But often over time, as we look back on where we came from and how we got here and who we are now, we begin to see, oh yeah, I can see how God Took that event or that time in my life and transformed it and used it. I can see how this piece fits in with the rest of my life. God has, has done this for me. God has used me in this way. And that's, um, anyway, that's a, I think that's a pretty good picture of how uh, God works in our lives. Don't think for a moment that God's grace. Can't transform whatever mess you're dealing with right now. He can. Look at Paul. Look what he did in Paul's life. He can do the same for you, and he will. Just keep trusting in him, keep believing in him. And if you have trouble believing, then say, Help my unbelief. <laughs> you know, God, I, I, I'm having a hard time here, but, uh, but you will find the grace that you need. I promise. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on Sunday morning, I hope you'll feel free to join us in worship at Hampton United Methodist Church. We have two worship services. We have a nine o'clock that's that's acoustic contemporary, and we have a more traditional 11 o'clock service. Hope to see you there.